Okay, turn to 1 Samuel 17, would you? 1 Samuel 17. And uh, today we are continuing our look through the life of David. It's called Up Close and Personal. And here is our second look at this infamous battle between Goliath and the nation of Israel. And you know, as we look at 1 Samuel 17 today, there really is, if there's a theme verse that's developing for this up close and personal, it it would have to be in chapter 16, verse 7. This is fantastic. It's it's the account when, when David was chosen amongst all of his other brothers by God to be the next king of Israel. And if you were with us a few weeks back when we talked about this, we learned this reality from this verse. And here's what it is right here. Chapter 16, verse 7, it says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Remember, David was the baby. He was the youngest. He was out in the field. No one even considered him king material. And here's how the verse ends. It says, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And this is the way it's always been for people. You know, we are heavily influenced by the superficial We see people's beauty, we see their possessions, we see their talent, we see their money, we see their intellect, we see their popularity, and we either give them extra credit or we judge them in a negative light, all by the superficial. So here's the reality of this verse. God is not starstruck. He was not starstruck with Saul's greatness. He was not starstruck with Goliath's height and size. He was not starstruck by Eliab's military grade or by Bathsheba's beauty. These are all the things that we saw and will see people blowing it in their perception on the externals. God, and here's the phrase for us, God is not enamored with externals. He values hearts. God doesn't see things like we do. He goes beyond the surface to what truly matters he understands the reality of the situation and last week we saw though that although god looks at the heart we do look at the outside and here's examples of israel's army of eliab and of king saul who looked at the outside of goliath they saw this nine foot nine inch tall man wearing 125 pounds of armor holding a a a spear that weighed, the end of it weighed over 35 pounds. And all of the armies were concerned about that, but God was not in any way. But here's what we learned from last week, just to catch us up, and then we're going to move forward. When we don't see things like God, and can I just awaken us this morning? Because we all end up getting enamored with big obstacles When we don't see things like God, there were three things from last week. Number one, we fear what God wants us to fight. We fear what God wants us to fight. That was Israel. They ran and cowered in fear. We also saw we picked the wrong battles. So here was Eliab, someone who was afraid to fight against Goliath, the giant that was standing in between of Israel and their promise to retain the land. And instead of fighting Goliath, here's Eliab opposing his brother. And this is the reality of it. 
Eliab was attacking his brother rather than Goliath. Rather than humbly yielding to the one that Eliab personally saw anointed to be the next king of Israel, that was David, he sought to ridicule and undermine his mission to defeat the enemy. I love the way that Chuck Swindoll talked about this. We mentioned it last week. He said this, we need to choose our battles wisely because if you don't watch it, all of your battles will be fought among fellow members of the family of God. And meanwhile, the real enemy of our souls roams around our territory, winning victory after victory. Did you catch that? That's powerful. Here's the third thing we learned from last week, then we're going to jump into the 17. We underestimate God's work through others. This was Saul. David, you can't do it. You're not big enough. I've seen the adversary. You can't handle him. He's more skilled than you. And you know what? Maybe the only way you can do it is my way. Here's my armor. Here's my sword. Here's my shield. If you do it that way, then maybe you have a better chance of winning. That was Saul. So, you know, we saw Saul, we saw Eliab, we saw the, the people of Israel cowering in fear. And have you ever wondered, like, how in the world did they get so caught up in Goliath and they completely missed how great their God was? So it's this whole theme about eclipsing. Eclipsing. Now, um, so I'm just going to give you a little science lesson this morning. Hope you're up for it. If you're not, you're going to get it anyways. So here it comes. You know, um, we experience a solar eclipse somewhere on our Earth once every 18 months or so. It's not in the same spot. I think it takes about 360-some years for the next solar eclipse to actually occur over the same spot on the Earth. How do solar eclipses happen? So I just want to, I want to give this to you. Um, this really helped me visualize what was going on with, with Goliath and with God. So a solar eclipse happens when the moon comes in between the sun and the earth. But if I can explain to you, here's the crazy thing about this. You see the, um, the eclipse there, the sun and the moon is in between the sun and the earth. Um, I want to give you a couple other um, pictures here just to be able to see. That. Here's a partial eclipse. So here's where you see the moon kind of partly going over the sun. And then there is a full eclipse. Here's a picture of that. And I just want you to know it's okay to look at the sun. In this instance, a full eclipse, do not look at the sun. It is not good for you. And, um, and then here's a really neat pic because you know the eclipse doesn't take out all of the light to the earth it just takes out a small portion and so here's a shadow of a full eclipse on the earth taken from a, uh, a satellite pic now how in the world can the moon eclipse the sun i just want to share with you the moon if you if you took a rod and went right through the middle of it from one end to the other the radius the moon is approximately 1,081 miles wide at that radius. The sun, you ready for this? The sun is 870,000 miles wide at the radius. 1,081, 870,000. 
Can I just ask you the question? How in the world can the moon eclipse the sun? Let me just break this down. So how wide is 870,000 miles? So if you, took, if you got on one end of the radius and you got in a car and you drove 60 miles an hour all the way across to the other side of the sun, 870 miles, it would take you 60 miles an hour, 24 hours a day, it would take you over 18 and a half months. Now, some of you are thinking, how in the world can a car go straight through for 18 and a half months without stopping? Obvious, it's solar-powered. <laughs> so that's one of the worst ones I've ever thought of in my life. Okay, 18 and a half months. If you did the same thing with the moon, and you got on one side of the moon, and you started driving straight through that 1,081 miles, 60 miles an hour, it would take you 18 hours. It is estimated 72, 72 million moons could fit into the sun. How in the world can the moon eclipse the sun to the earth? And you know the answer, don't you? It's its proximity to us. So if this tiny moon is closer to us and we are further removed from the sun, it has a greater chance of eclipsing the light that it gives to us. And so this is the reality. This puny moon can be an obstacle that can keep us from seeing something that is so much greater. And so just to ask you here this morning, what did the people of Israel see? You know the answer to that. The people of Israel saw Goliath. They saw his size. They saw his strength. They saw his military ability. They saw his armor. They saw his weapons. They were eclipsed in their image of the greatness of God because of this obstacle that was on their side. So here, let's look at what did David see, though? We all know what Israel saw, what Eliab saw, what Saul saw. What did David see when he walked in to the battlefield and he saw Goliath there? And I'm just going to give you a little clip from Hebrews chapter 11. This is what David saw. After all of this was done, there is this passage in the New Testament called the Hall of Faith where they talk about the faith that different individuals had when they went into difficult scenarios. And here's what Hebrews 11 says about David. It says, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah about, and here's who we're looking at, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and here's the other big phrase, and gained what was promised, who shut out the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness is turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And so here is David, and the text says, David, through faith, gained what was promised to him. He saw things differently. He wasn't eclipsed by the giant in front of him. He saw the greatness of his God. 
He was not distant from God and close to the enemy. In fact, it was the reverse. He was closer to God and distant from the enemy. He saw things completely different. So let's look at three things. How did he see the situation? David, number one, saw God as living and powerful. Living and powerful. And if you would look at a couple passages with us, he mentioned in chapter 17, verse 26, here's his description of God, and here's his description of Goliath. He said right out, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Can you already see? Here's a complete reversal. The other guys revered Goliath and didn't even think about God. Here's David. Hey, this guy's a dog. And I have the living God on my side. There's another passage he said very similar to this in, in uh, the same chapter, verse 45 and 46, here's his statement to Goliath. Now, I don't know how you and I would be if we walked up to nine-foot, nine-inch-tall Goliath. What would be your words to him? We'd probably be a little more diplomatic. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. Now, I love, here's, here's how you know he knew God was alive. This day, the Lord will deliver you. God's here right now in this place, and you're going down. He will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give you the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. God's alive. He's bigger than you. You're going to come down. And your head is going to take a journey with me around all of Jerusalem. For the Israelites, they were eclipsed. Their eclipse of God was partly due to their proscribed a close proximity of Goliath, partly due to their distance from God. Israel didn't factor God into the battle because as the chapters before 17 showed us, they've been drifting for a long time. God was not a part of their equation. For David, God appeared to eclipse Goliath. It was almost like David didn't even notice his size, his might, and experience. The words, the living God was absent from Israel. God is able, those words were absent from Israel. The God who reigns had given them countless victories, but now they were forgotten. For David, God was living, powerful, and sovereign. He was going to make it happen. David saw God as living and powerful. Here's number two, and I'm going to move through these. Here's number two. God, or David saw God's promises as unstoppable. I want to give you a couple things here. This is important. Because some people look at this passage and think, hey, anything I want, I can get because God's bigger than it. Well, that's not really what the passage is saying at all. Here's where he's getting at. God made promises to Israel and to David. I'm going to show you the promise he made to Israel. It was back in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, Here's the promise God made Israel. It said, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give you this land 
So he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So God made an unconditional promise to Israel. I'm going to give you this land of Israel. It's going to be yours. Now notice what Goliath was doing. Goliath was coming in and saying, we're going to take over Israel. It's going to be ours. It's against the promises of God. Here's another promise God gave to David. God made a promise to David, and we studied about it just a few weeks ago. The Lord said, rise, anoint him, or David. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So just put this together in your mind. God made a promise to Israel. You're going to have this land, and Goliath is saying, I'm going to take this land. So do you believe God or do you believe Goliath? And then God told David, you're going to be the next king of Israel. David believed it. And he went into battle because he knew God keeps his promises. And so I ask you, what promise has God made that has ever been denied? Exactly. God has never made a promise that has been denied Faith says this, if God promised to give us the land and make us a nation, the giant's coming down. Faith says this, if God promised me I'm going to be the next king of Israel, and Goliath says no, the giant's coming down. Because no promise has God ever made that he did not keep. This is a significant thing about all of this. This means it's God's battle to fight. This means God's going to be on my side. The battle is the Lord's. It's not my battle. It's not Israel's battle. This is God's battle. God's record is perfect. His record is about 30 million to zero. He's the undisputed, undefeated champion of the entire world. And so I just expressed to you the same thing that David felt in this situation. If God said it is going to happen, it's going to happen, period. Almost makes someone in church want to say amen or something like that. This is just the reality of what we're dealing with. David saw God as sovereign, as ruler. And then here's the third thing. David saw reminders of God's faithfulness. I just love this. I don't know if you're familiar with the account of David and and Goliath, but David grabbed five smooth stones. He did just as he had done, probably practiced 10,000 times out in the shepherd's field. Getting a target and slinging that sling and trying to hit it with a rock and over time and time and time again, He had perfected it, and God used it when he got out in the battlefield. Crazy as it was, boom, down came Goliath. David didn't have a sword, and he went over and grabbed Goliath's gigantic sword and lobbed off his head. And then all of the Philistine army just ran in fear. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but look at verse 54 of chapter 17. When the battle was done, and God was not only living and powerful, but his promises were unstoppable. This is really the coolest thing. I just, this is great. 
Verse 54, David took the Philistine's head, brought it to Jerusalem. You ever notice this? And he put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. I don't know if you've ever, um, if you ever noticed that before. I had not, um, before all of this, I had not realized that that was exactly uh, what David did. And you wonder, why in the world did he take the, the sword and the armor of Goliath and take him back to his tent? Well, I just, I just want to um, think about this with you. He wasn't going to grow into him. He didn't say, you know what? If I grow another four feet, I can handle this stuff. He he didn't take him for that. You know why he took all of that stuff back to his tent? It's kind of his trophy case. These, These were reminders. I want to remember. I want to remember what God did. I don't want to forget this stuff. I want to remember God handled Goliath. Because there's going to be other battles to come. And I've got to remember this. We talked about this two weeks ago. Where our weight is not wasted with God. Here's the other one. Don't forget it. Don't forget God's victories. Victories are not to be wasted with God. These weapons stood as a perpetual reminder to the undeniable promises of God. Because you know what? We need reminders. We forget the promises of God and his faithfulness the very next time an obstacle comes up that he has promised to deliver us from. You know, when I was going through this, I was reminded um, how quickly the disciples forgot. Because um, there was the account in in the scriptures where Jesus fed the 5,000 right in front of them. It's kind of a neat thing. Um, There was the whole whole understanding that um, this big crowd was there, and the disciples said, how in the world are we going to take care of these people and feed them? And Jesus says, well, what do we have? And they said, well, we just have, this kid's got five small loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, well, let's do it. And after Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, they collected 12 baskets, one for each of them, full of food. And then it mentions right away the disciples got in a boat and they went out into the Sea of Galilee and it mentions that the waves were choppy. And then here comes Jesus later that evening walking on the water out to their boat. Can I just set the records? Just before that, Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus is walking on the water out to the boat. And then Peter says, hey, can I come out? Ask me to come out and walk with you. And Jesus says, come on. So Peter started taking a couple steps. And then the Bible says, and then he saw the waves and became afraid. And you know what happened to Peter? He went down. Here's the reality. 
Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Jesus is walking on the water. Peter starts to do that, but then all of a sudden he saw the wave and went down. How quickly we forget God's faithfulness and his sovereignty. Peter forgot, we forget. And oftentimes when we forget the next obstacle to God's promises, quickly eclipse the truth of our great God and his undefeated record in our world. So you know what? We need a trophy rack here at church. We need a trophy case. God's faithful. God keeps promises. God does things that we can't do. And here's one thing I want to put on it. It's a card I got um, from Steve and Amanda Forrester. Can I read it for you right now? It says, During 40 days recouping from COVID-19 in the hospital and beyond, from Steve and Amanda Forrester and family, I, Steve, would like to thank everyone very, very much for your prayers. Lots of cards, financial help, meals, videos shared, reaching out to Amanda and family, and visits and care from those even working at the hospital. You've all been a blessing, and I can't thank you enough. It's good to be alive and be with my family and all of you. I praise God for his healing and for all of you and your compassion. Our hearts go out to those who have lost loved ones during these trying times. We love you. Love in Christ, Steve, Amanda, and family. That should be in the trophy case, amen? Yeah. I've got another item that's going in the trophy case on October 15th. And that is um, our second born gets married. And maybe some of you know our story. But it's a story of redemption. Of God's goodness. That he can do things that we never ever imagined he could do. That goes in the trophy case. Baptisms are part of our trophy case. That God changes lives. And points people to brand new life in him. Communion that we just celebrated a moment ago is a part of our trophy case. That God can conquer our sin because of Jesus Christ. Something we could never do on our own that we are powerless to do. It's a reminder of Christ's victory. You and I being here this morning is a reminder of God's victory. That God is greater than our sin and greater than our problems. And so when we look at the story of David and Goliath, this is not a story of a little guy and a big guy. This is a story of a great God. It's about God's unstoppable power. It's about the reality that he is alive it's that he will never be denied in his promises to us. It's a whole lesson in God's sovereignty. He always, always keeps his promises. And no one overrules him. So what's in your trophy case? I want to give you a couple symbols 
and these things have to be in our case, is something we need to think about. Um, one thing is the symbol of the, the stone. It's that God lives in Jesus Christ, that the stone was rolled away, that Jesus Christ lives eternally. And if God can bring Jesus from the dead, the ultimate picture of the empty tomb, God wins in the end. He works all things together for good. It doesn't mean that necessarily you won't be denied, but his promises won't be denied. God brings all things together for good. He turns graves into gardens. Nothing separates us from his love. He will always care for us. God wins. And then here's the second one. And would you stand with me on this? The second symbol that needs to be in our trophy case is the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Would you say the end with me? That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have This is the ultimate battle we could never win. Never. We're incapable of defeating our adversary. We could never win the battle for our forgiveness. We could never pay for our own sin. This battle is the Lord's. And he won it when he died on the cross for us. It's in our trophy case. It's what we believe. It's what we celebrate. And it's what we need to remember day in and day out. The battle's the Lord's. The battle's the Lord's. Your battle is the Lord's. And we remember that together. Hey, I'm going to do something I haven't done in over two years. Um, Our worship team, come on up. Where are you at? Let's Let's do that battle belongs one more time. Come on up here. And you know what? We need to remember this, friends. This battle for our forgiveness is Christ. You need to trust Christ. The battle for him to bring good out of your evil is the Lord's. He'll make good on his promise. He will grow you to be more into the image of Jesus Christ. The battle's the Lord's. And just know that he will never be denied. His promises will never be denied. And we can rely on his faithfulness. So Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, thank you for the reminder that you reign, that you're sovereign, that you will never, ever be defeated. And God, anything that stands in the way of your promise will ultimately come down. Thank you for the promise to forgive those who trust in Jesus. Thank you for the promise that you will turn all things for good to those who love God. We trust in this. We trust in you. And we thank you for being the God that lives and wins. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.